What's going on? Happy Friday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, as always, joined by Canucks insider Thomas Stranch. You can read his work at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net and 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yesterday was a busy day, and today's worse. Today is also an extremely busy day. Like, forget the Thomas Drance checklist. <laughs> the news around this team has taken a grim turn over the last 24 hours, I'd say. The Tanner Pearson story keeps developing with Quinn Hughes, you know, offering some pointed commentary about how it was handled. Um... We don't know exactly what's gone on here yet. No, and I mean, as you said, it continues to develop, and I think that's going to be the case days, weeks, potentially months. Here. So we have to be really careful yep. about how we talk about it, particularly in the wake of some of Friedman's commentary. We're going to play some of that audio, right? Yeah, we can. We have to. It's so it's so pointed, and, and especially the part on where this may be trending toward some sort of PA involvement, uh, which, is, which is to paraphrase Friedman's commentary. We'll play that a little bit later. Team lost again, 5-4. And before anyone falls over themselves to give the Canucks an iota of credit for this, because it was, you know, an incredible piece of drama. It was an exciting final five minutes, that's for sure. But let's be real, from a team quality perspective, what happened? The Tampa Bay Lightning stopped trying to win. They started trying to get Steven Stamkos a goal. Like, they passed up on an empty net chance to get Stamkos a goal. You don't even get to the Lazar shot. If not for, you know, the the Tampa Bay Lightning truly fuffing about <laughs> in the neutral zone, as my very British grandmother might have said. <laughs> um, you know, to try and get Stamkos a shot at the empty net. If Braden Point doesn't pass off with a clear lane to the net in order to get Stamkos. So the Canucks lose again, and they're now, what, 0 for 3 on this road trip? Yes, despite having scored four goals in every yeah, game. Yeah, but who cares? Who cares about that? Like, uh, this is what I don't... I've got some guy in my DMs... No, 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 hold on. I'm not saying that to give them credit. If anything, it's no. an indictment. No, I know. I've got some you guy... You know what I mean? I've got some guy who sends me messages about it. The Canucks score more per game than the 2011 and 1994 Canucks seasons individually. It's like, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, that has a lot to do with the league changing as well. Right. But also... Hockey's always hockey's always been a game of ratios. Yeah, not raw numbers. As I say, like it's great to score four. It doesn't matter if you score if you give up five. The ratio is what matters, right? This is why I don't talk about a team's ability to score or or to score the first. That's why I've always talked about the ability to score the next goal. Create mm-hmm. an environment where you're more likely to score the next goal. Control. It's a game of control. It's not a game of scoring. First to five wins. If it was a game of first to four wins, the Canucks might, you know, be doing a little bit better this season. That ain't the game. That ain't the game. What else has come out? Oh, Elias Pettersson? The Elias Pettersson with Pat Brisson appearing on Donnie and Dolly in the wake of some commentary made on the athletic hockey show by... By your colleague, Michael Russo. Mike Russo, who knows his stuff. Is extremely, extremely plugged in. I call him the the dean of hockey writers, and and that's like a hard-earned... Um, moniker, 
Pat Brisson appearing with Donnie and Dolly, what, what appears to have been a late booking, by the way, because I was on, I saw that they were like, I got booked and it was like, we have Dave Pratt and Thomas Durance. And then all of a sudden it's like, Pat Brisson's on too. Yeah. So, and, and let me, let me tell you something about Pat Brisson, super agent, the guy who manages the, the most salary of any agent in the NHL. And works for CAA, the most powerful agency in the world in any endeavor, right? Because they all they also do hockey and entertainment, mm-hmm. and on and on. If Pat Brisson's on your show, you're not plugging Dave Pratt and Thomas Drance. <laughs> We've got Pat Brisson, <laughs> NHL's most powerful agent. Like that's what you're talking about. Brisson telling Dolly Wall per his Twitter feed, Elias loves Van. He hates losing. July 1st, we can discuss and explore a contract with Vancouver, and we will. Okay. So we'll see where it all goes. And, you know, I noticed a little bit of a, of a checklist, too, from Merrick today. Mm-hmm. We got to play this audio. We'll get it. We'll get it for later in the show. But, yeah, like Friedman and Merrick, because Friedman goes on They with literally Jeff did start a power the show. rankings of Canucks And as issues. Jeff Merrick called it, they did Canucks triage. <laughs> <laughs> like which of the many fires and issues plaguing the Canucks well, are the most serious and need to be dealt with first. And what's incredible to me is they listed all these scary dramatic things, right? The public replacement for the coach, the trade rumors, the the will they or won't they. They didn't list the uh, human rights tribunal complaint, the HRC, uh, HRC complaint, the active one against both the organization, the general manager and assistant general manager, Emily Castingay and Patrick Alvin respectively. And they didn't mention... The family court affidavits filed by the owner's, owner's ch- children al- alleging, you know, a, a, a type of domestic violence was deeply disturbing to read based on what was read into the court records. So, yeah, that's where we're at. It, I mean, are we at Mike Keenan's most dysfunctional seasons yet? Have we reached that territory? The I think we have. The Quinn Hughes comment last night felt like a bit of a tipping point in that direction. And I want to return to that. You know, as you said, look, there's not a lot we can say about the actual injury to Tanner Pearson and the ramifications to that, like what we can piece together, what's been reported. He's had at least three procedures. It sounds like there's more to come. Uh, I know Rick Dollywell was reporting today there might be an infection. Like We don't know exactly know what the timeline is for Tanner Pearson. But the just the fact that Quinn Hughes decided to say publicly like that it wasn't handled properly. And I know, you know, there's been a little bit of pushback. I heard on the post game show last night and even in our inbox, uh, this one comes in uh, unsigned. How does Hughes know? Maybe he should work on his game. Well, I'm guessing Hughes knows because players talk to each other and players talk about what they're going through when they're rehabbing from injury. But the specific, like, Quinn Hughes doesn't need to be a doctor to know that. At least Tanner Pearson might feel that something was mishandled, that something wasn't handled properly. And the actual, like, like the specifics of the medical situation and the advice given and the treatment given and all that, that's one thing. The fact that players are upset about it is another thing, and that fact in and of itself is potentially important, potentially really damaging, potentially extremely damaging when you think about how seriously athletes take their health, their ability to keep doing their job earning their livelihood, staying in the league, how fleeting careers are, right? That like We've seen it with Jack Eichel and the Sabres, man. When players' health gets called into question and that's on the line, things get very serious in a hurry. Or when the trust breaks down. Yes. right. And again, we don't know exactly what happened. 
The Canucks have a new medical staff, but I don't think it's fair, given the vacuum of information, to begin pointing fingers or even suggesting it in any direction. But I do think in the wake of that commentary, you know, and this is for the organization to to do, not for me to pontificate about. But, you know, you do have you do have to have a hundred percent trust, right? Like what really happened on the Eichel thing, it was a breakdown in trust yep. about how to proceed between the club and the player, and, and that only ends in one way, right? If you don't have one hundred percent airtight trust between the organization and their and the players on their bodies, on their health, on their nutrition, on their fitness regimens, you know, you're in trouble. Particularly because, well, particularly because of all, all of what you, like, it shapes where players want to be. It shapes what players do. You know, 15 years ago, back when the Canucks were a model organization, before the tire fire got lit, the crews are still trying to put it out, the Canucks used to pitch agents i've heard this from agents like this isn't team sources mm. I, I heard that like when the canucks would call they'd be like we can't offer your guy market value because we're capped out but if and we can't offer him top six minutes <laughs> because we're kind of good but if he comes and signs with us what we'll do is we'll extend his career we've got this you know science department we know how much he can play to be at optimal performance we know we know how to use him we will extend his career and earn him more money over the long haul because he'll get another deal, right? So you come sign a below market two or three year deal with us and you will get more money on the other side because you will play well, you will be at your best, your body will be maintained better than it will be anywhere else. And that was part of their pitch. They like directly pitch that to players. That's a good story to tell. And all of the progress, all of the competitive edges that the team had got thrown out with the bathwater. It's just, it's honestly, like, again, this, for some reason, the negative media conversation comes up whenever this team struggles to a historic extent. <laughs> I don't even know what started it this week. I don't know. Like, I, can you I even remember, understand. was there a precipitating incident? I don't think so. I guess it was Rutherford's commentary in the to the Trib in Pittsburgh. That was what it was. It yeah, was but the he stresses. Didn't. No, I know, but that's, that's why people were like, how stressful is it to manage a team mm. in this? And then, so that started the story. I think people have been generally almost circumspect. And like, I don't think this team has been taking more bullets than they deserve, considering how this year has gone. Considering, like, this team came into the season with the expressly stated goal of making the playoffs mm -hmm. and explicitly saying it would be a disaster to miss. They crossed the halfway point threshold of the season on pace for 74 points in a season in which it was said to be a disaster if they missed. And which they invested in the team. <laughs> Extended a key player before the season. Signed a big name uh, UFA, or at least a big money UFA, uh, on, on the equivalent of yes. July 1st. Traded multiple draft picks in service of this team. Traded prospects in service of a player for the roster now. I mean... Considering the checklist of things that have gone badly. Oh, Scott Wheeler also ranked uh, Canucks prospects at the Athletic and ranked them 28, calling the Canucks one of the leanest prospect systems mm -hmm. in the NHL for a second year running. Okay, so that's where we're at. And, you know, look, we, we tee off on the team sometimes. Sure. But I actually don't know that the coverage and the conversation, particularly in national media, reflects how uniquely hopeless this situation is in particular. Like, 
let me give you an example. I, I brought it up on Donnie and Dolly too, but what's one true positive outside of like the AHL? True NHL level positive that you would bring up about this team's true talent abilities this season? Uh, Elias Patterson. Sure. And why? Because he's playing really well. And he's awesome. Scoring a ton. Scoring. Literally, he's number one in the NHL by by five on five, five on five scoring rate. Yeah. The Canucks have three players in the top twenty, or sorry, four players in the top twenty. They're the only team that does. Buffalo has three, but they're all in the same line. Vancouver has four players who are playing on different lines. This team can fill the net. That's what you'd say, right? Of those four players, one, two are expiring: Bo Horvat and Andre Kuzmenko. A third is a year out. From expiring, right? Like, after the season, he'll have one more. He's going to have a ton of leverage, and you can already feel people beginning to get nervous about whether he'd want to sign on to continue here. And the fourth is Brock Besser, widely considered to be a bad contract. Mm -hmm. So, even this team's best players, you don't have cost certainty on. Like, the guys who are the basis of your positive take, you don't have cost certainty on them, so it's not like you can expect to continue to lean on them to drive your offense while you improve the pieces around them. Because they're the guys who are about to get more expensive. Or not be here. Or not be here. And and probably a mix of the two. So, so again, you know, I know that we've started with, like, uh, sunshine, lollipops, <laughs> and... But, but, there is an answer here. There is an answer here, Jamie, and it's not it's not begin fixing things. It's not take some time off from being in the news cycle. It's not a coaching change. It's not calm. It's not deal with the media differently. It's none of those things, truly. It's be honest with yourself. That's it. Be honest with yourself about where 10 years of the most rank and absurd style of mismanagement and short-term thinking that we've seen in this league anywhere from any franchise, particularly in a stable market like Vancouver, like a stable, high-interest, high-passion, high-revenue, wealthy hockey market like Vancouver. Except that the 10 years of this have led you to a point where the only option is to snuff these issues out at the root. Root and stem. Start again. There's not enough to preserve here. The drama will continue. The losing will continue if this team continues down the path that they've insisted on for the last 10 years. This path of struggling against the inevitable cycles that come and go, ebb and flow in the NHL, right? You got to be all in when you're good. You got to be all out when you're bad. And the Canucks have been bad, fundamentally bad, while struggling, striving, unable to get past just the middle for an awfully long time. And, and you know what? What's happened is over time, they've changed the organization. Like for, in 2014, when they made that change, they threw out a host of competitive advantages, mm -hmm. right? Then they willy nilly made a change after, like, you know. They looked to change the GM. They couldn't. They doubled down. They brought the coach back. They trade for OEL. It doesn't go badly. They hire a new coach before they have a hockey operations leadership group in place. They don't do a full search. 
They don't hear out some of the brightest minds in the league. They don't even tell the incoming president what the length of the coach's contract is. Like, enough, enough. If you operate like a circus, fans can smell it, and over time, you get exposed for it. Enough. Just look at yourself in the mirror. Right? This isn't, this isn't a, like, relevant to like uh, uh do you ever have a day where things are going like this it's not relevant sometimes you you know exactly what the problem is and it's hard to fix it's hard to like be honest with yourself enough to to self-improve but this organization just needs to face up to the fact that there's no way forward that isn't stepping back that's it and and you know what if you do it if you do it hope returns tomorrow sunshine yep. returns tomorrow the clouds will break even in Vancouver. Yep. The well, the moment you do it, the moment you just start being honest with this fan base and charting a different path, this market will exhale and accept it. And you'll get patience and you'll get positivity. Like you will get all of the things that people say this market isn't are on the team for having completely unrealistic expectations of themselves and no clue. How to get themselves there. And I think so much of this comes down to just the the toll that constantly falling short of expectations. Your own expectations that you've set. Your internal expectations. I'm not even talking about expectations from fans or the media or whatever. Just your own expectations. Your own goals. Constantly falling short. That takes a tremendous toll. And again, the way to address that, even beyond the on-ice. The on-ice, very compelling reasons for, hey, this is how you build a Stanley Cup contender. It's it's You have to rebuild from this position. I just think from an off-ice perspective, like everyone, just the ability for the franchise as a whole to kind of take a step back, take a deep breath, reset, have a year where you're not going to fail at your goal of making the playoffs because your goal isn't making the playoffs. Like, like just give yourself, it's, give yourself that gift where you set some achievable goals that people, as you said, will be really happy about, will be really, really excited about. And, you know, the other thing that, uh, you talked about the trust, right? And so I think back to, you know, it wasn't that long ago where the the uh, the COVID shutdown and then the team was worried they were con- coming back too early and uh, Bo Horvat and JT Miller were out there speaking to the media about it and raising some concerns. I think part of the goal for this new management regime should have been to, and probably was, to, you know, rebuild that reputation and that trust between the players and the franchise. And to hear Quinn Hughes with those comments about Tanner Pearson last night, again, whatever the ultimate story ends up being with Tanner Pearson and his medical situation, obviously the players, as I read it, think the trust was breached there. And so now the problem is, how do you go about rebuilding that trust with the players? And when you think about the position that the Canucks are in, like who has that weight? Who has that weight in the organization to address the concerns of the players? Bruce Boudreau, I mean, we're hearing on a regular basis now how they're looking to replace him. He's pretty clearly a lame duck head coach, so I don't think he's going to be the guy to do it. And I don't know how much credibility the new front office has built up in that regard. Obviously, Jim Rutherford has the resume, and he has the history in the game, but you know, he's also made some very pointed commentary about how the team has played. So I don't know how you actually go through the really difficult work of rebuilding trust with these players. Right. And that's important. It's not, it's not hypothetical. Like, look, Quinn Hughes is under contract for a long time. Okay. So you can 
go through a very slow, gradual re, uh, process of rebuilding trust with Quinn Hughes. But Bo Horvat's not. And as much as you and I think they should trade Bo Horvat, we've heard they want to keep him. They're going to try to re-sign him. Elias Patterson's not under contract for a long time. And it was your colleague in The Athletic who just this week was saying, you know, not in The Athletic, but on The Athletic's podcast, was saying, you know, he's hearing there's some behind-the-scenes things which might make Elias Patterson want to leave town when he can. Well, this can't help. And so that's... Man, it's uh, they started the season by saying that it would be a disaster to make the playoffs, but at this point, you're just doing kind of like emergency trust building. That's what that's what you have to do at this point. You you have to filter every decision you make through the lens of we have to rebuild our credibility and reestablish our credibility with the players because it has turned into such a a gong show this season that I think you're not just concerned about this year. It's not just that this year was lost, right? You're concerned about what impact is this going to have on the players going forward? What impact is this going to have on our ability to retain the guys we want on our ability to acquire the players we want? And I think that's kind of job one now is, is fixing that is making it so that that is not an issue. And that's not an easy task. And again, it might be the kind of thing where the best way to do that is to completely reset, completely reset. So you're not trying to rebuild it with this group of players. It's about, other groups of players in the future. There's also the trust with this fan base. You know? Like, one thing we've noticed is no one trusts this organization to get it right with Bo Horvat one way or the other. There's no trust about whether or not this organization will get it right with Kuzmenko. There's going to be no trust... When the Canucks makes when the Canucks make offseason moves designed to help them get back to the playoffs, like you think there's going to be excitement going into next season if they keep pushing their chips into the middle of the table? Nope. You know, at some point, and we we're actually long past it. The bill comes due, and it's coming due in on every front. Right? The team is paying for just years of this. Years of incompetence. Rank. Rank incompetence. Nothing else. Nothing else. So, uh, Ru Russ and Poco text in. Until the Aquilini group accepts that they are only going to get twelve to 14000 in the stands for a couple seasons, a full rebuild will never happen. I don't even think it would be that dire is the thing. Like, I don't think the attendance would be that bad. If you, like, if you go fans into next year. Fans would be into it. If you go into next year, and look, maybe you get some extra first-round picks, but they're not ready to contribute, whatever. But you have, you know, Pod Colson and Hoaglander in your top six, playing big minutes, playing on the power play. You've got a young, upbeat, you know, positive coach who's got the team playing fun hockey. People are going to buy into that. Oh, People are going to be excited about that. You're going to be worse than you are now. You're on pace for 74 points. Like, what, what are we talking about? You might yeah. only you might only have 15,000 people in attendance. You might only have 15,000 people in attendance next week. Probably not, though, because this is Vancouver. And we love hockey here. And we love this team. Also, we've got some people texting in things like expectations for media. Who cares about expectations for media? Expectations from the team. Well, yeah, my point was it wasn't about expectations no. from the media. It's about their own internal expectations my that they're expe falling short of. My expectations of this team have always been relatively low. <laughs> no, they, look, organization has to, stop has to stop the relentless pursuit of mediocrity, and that's the big problem. Everything flows from that. And the more you struggle against it, the more things like you know, what does Elias Pettersson want? What 
do we have to do to make him say yes? Oh my goodness. It's like, what does Elias Pettersson want? You know, you can't be thinking like this. That's how you get taken advantage of. You know, what what does what you need to you need to look out advocate for yourself. You need to make this team appealing. That's it. Like it's on that's on the team. You can't be fretting to kowtow to this guy or that guy. You can't be hiring a coach because he's the right guy to tell off your star player who you just extended. You have to have the wisdom to not sign that player if that's the type of coach he needs. Like, come on. We can't stop having these completely twisted standards and conversations for this team. We can't. And this team needs to aspire to something more than that. There's one way to do it, and there's one way to change the story tomorrow. Just go weeding. Just go weeding, but don't dig while you're at it. Am Put I? down the shovel. <laughs> weed with your hands. <laughs> What's a weeding device? I don't even know. Anyway, no, I always did um, it. My, I always did it with a combination of a shovel in my hands. And, but and my but you got to put back down the shovels. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I'll say, and I've made this point before on the show periodically. You know, one of, what's one of the great fears if you do a, a full scale, large scale, re- genuine rebuilding process, right? One of the great fears is that you're going to lose. The losing gets to people, and it turns everything into a slog. No one's having fun. Culture, whatever you want to call it, it's just it's tough. It's tough to lose that much. It's even tougher to lose that much when you're trying to win, right? And that's what's happening here. So you, you're you getting the negative. You're getting the downside. That's already built in. That's already happening. But you're not getting the upside. You're not getting the light at the tunnel. There's a way to fix it. Until they do, though, it's going to be like this. It's going to seem like everything is so incredibly difficult until they go in a different direction. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of great texts coming in. We'll get to some of them on the other side. I do want to play a little bit of what uh, uh, what Elliot Freeman had to say on the Tanner Pearson situation as well. We'll talk a little about the game last night. So much going on. So much going on with this team right now. More Canucks talk on the way here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. Happy Friday. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strantz here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And, of course, we are coming to you live from the Kintec Footwear studio uh, lots of text coming in on the idea of rebuild everything going on with this team right now uh, specifically also the idea of how much it would or would not annoy fans if the team did do a large-scale rebuild and a lot of text along these lines coming in saying uh, i don't mind going to watch rebuilding hockey if i'm being told there is a direction this team wants to go in and another one was uh I would rather watch, I prefer intentional mediocrity over expensive, unintentional mediocrity. I get it. I absolutely get it. Um, and again, I, uh, this is another point that I've made a lot, but like, to me, rebuilding doesn't mean you have to be what the Chicago Blackhawks are this year. Like, I think you can rebuild and be while you're a 70 point team. I know you disagree with me. Oh, the Chicago Blackhawks. This is beautiful. <laughs> They've nailed it. They've absolutely nailed it. Yeah, but this was the year to nail it. Pe- yeah, people should be envious. No, but but I mean, you've got Celebrini next year. That that draft class is definitely going to be lesser than the 2023. Yeah. But then 2025, you've got this Hoggins kid. 
said to be one of the fastest skaters who's going to be coming in the league in 10 years. And then you've got our guy, Gavin McKenna. Our guy, Gavin McKenna, the official player of Canucks Talk. Hailing from the Yukon. Well, because by that, by by the time Gavin McKenna's draft year rolls along, this team might finally have faced up to the reality that they need to go for it. Uh, that's my favorite bit on the show is tracking the career of 14-year-old <laughs> Gavin McKenna. <laughs> I know he played in the dub a little bit. I don't think he's played uh, recently in the dub. I think he's back down to whatever lower league, but he's incredible. Yeah. I mean, hey, you were playing in the dub at like 14. Come on. He has six points in nine games at 14 in the dub. Let's go. Holy cow. That's incredible. There's a reason I'm into it, man. There's that's a reason outrageous. It. It's very, very good. And, and you know, from... Whitehorse? Whitehorse. Yeah, from the Yukon, I believe. Yeah. But but trained in the interior of British Columbia, working closely with ex-Canuck Byron Ritchie. Mm. So, I mean, there's even local ties there. There you go. Well, yeah. And, I mean, Yukon, Western Canada, Western Canada or I guess Northern, Northwestern Canada. I don't know. Does Yukon consider themselves part of Western Canada? No. Absolutely not. They're on the West. Sure. <laughs> Northwestern Canada. Northwestern Canada. Anyways, um, Ella, and we touched on this briefly, but Ella from Coquitlam, Texas, uh, Jamie and Thomas, can you please weigh in on Mike Russo's report about Elias, Elias Pettersson? Would love your thoughts on this well, intel. And first again, of all, just, I wouldn't say it was a report. I would say it was Mike Russo talking yeah. with a little bit of knowledge as he captioned from the hip, but I haven't heard the clip, to be honest with you. Yeah, so. and we don't have the audio ready to go, but just to um, to give you the rundown. So I listened to it and Russo started by saying they're talking about kind of Bo Horvat and just generally what's going on with the Canucks and Russo, who's the beat writer for the Minnesota wild for the athletic, but also, uh, you know, just increasingly a, ex- a national, yeah, an insider, extremely yeah. plugged in uh hockey writer who knows a lot of people and knows, has a lot of info around the game. You know, initially he started by saying, you know, this is just my gut that maybe Patterson is going to want to move on. Then he kind of, amends that to say and and he goes as far to say you know people who know me know I don't just throw things out there there's some, there's usually it's coming from somewhere and he says so it's my gut and a little bit of inside info that maybe and the words he uses specifically are there's some behind the scenes stuff that would probably make him want to go elsewhere that's the phrasing from Mike Russo so not a you know breaking Elias Pettersson wants out of Vancouver but more of kind of a I'm hearing through the grapevine this could be an issue type of well statement or report from Mike Russo. You know, I thought did you see the broadcast they had John Cooper talking about Luke Shen? Did you see that last night? I did not see that. Okay, so uh but basically in in praising Luke Shen, Cooper listed like all the good dude good guy Luke Shen attributes that make Luke mm-hmm. Shen Luke Shen. And he noted that fans can sniff that out. That was his that was his exact wording. Fans can sniff out when a guy like Luke Shen is just a character human being who does all the right things and contributes a ton to a team as a result. And you know, I think that's a really interesting formulation because, you know, to some extent, most of the people who are hardcore enough Canucks fans to be listening to our program, you've watched hockey players for long enough. You've seen teams play for long enough that, you know, I thought I thought it was a really interesting like bit of flattery, but genuine flattery for the intelligence of hockey fans. Like hockey fans kind of know the score a little bit is is John Cooper's effective formulation. There's been a lot of angst about Pedersen's future in Vancouver as this team has listed along. 
having, you know, not gone long with Pedersen. Despite the fact that, like, that was, yeah, like, what changed to allow Pedersen and Hughes to get done when they got done? Was that Pedersen's side accepted that they'd do a bridge. Mm. Like, they wanted more. So fans have been sort of, you know, just your spidey senses have been tingling on this. So when gasoline or kerosene gets thrown on it a little bit, inevitably, you know, people are going to sort of wonder if there's some smoke there. And, you know, sometimes you can trust your gut. That would be my that would be my insight here would be sometimes you can trust your gut. If you're nervous about it, you're probably not entirely wrong to be nervous about it. That said. I don't know that it's a super active situation. And and more than that, you know, there's let me let me do the zoom out and talk about the shape of things, right? Well, hold on. Just before you do that, what I'll say is I think the reason it comes up a lot is it's because it's the biggest deal on the horizon for this team. Like even more so than Horvat, right? Pedersen's next contract is the thing on the horizon for this team. So again, it's natural that there's going to be a lot of questions about it, that there's going to be a lot of concern about it, talk about it, chatter. For sure. And it's again, you don't have to stretch to find reasons why a player might want to move on, which is not to say I don't have any insight whatsoever no. to Elias Pettersson's thinking, but it's not as if like, what, why, why would he want to move on? Right. It's not that situation. So it's understandable that I think people are going to have questions about it. Well, so we've seen these situations play out a lot around the NHL where a player is somewhat motivated or, or very motivated to move on. And yet when they're in the position that Pedersen is, which is multiple years away from unrestricted free agency, the team still has a ton of different levers to pull. Now, as we saw with Matthew Kachuk's situation, players increasingly can also uh, shoot their shot a little bit, particularly given that once they're free to negotiate their extension, there's sort of a pretty direct path to being like, I want to leave. I will not sign with you. And, you know, I would like to be dealt but in the in the Canucks' case, like okay, you ex- fine, accept your qualifying offer, you know, like accept your fine. Mm-hmm. Now in Patterson's case, that's an expensive qualifying offer. He's two years out from even being to that point. You want to bet on yourself that it's going to be twenty four months of hoping you don't get hurt, hoping you keep it up. You know, there, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to play hardball in this situation. And it's a high leverage enough one that the Canucks will have to do so. They have to do so if that's how this goes. And we don't know that it's necessarily how it's going to go yet. So, And additionally, the ability to be like, no, we're not going to trade you, but here's our offer. You know, that's a, that's a really powerful tool, particularly when you're two years out from being able to truly solicit offers from other teams, which is the position Pedersen will find him in this summer. Yeah, I mean, and, and historically in the NHL, these players stay where they are. That's the rule of thumb. Now that you could argue that's changing, and the Matthew Kachuk is an interesting situation. But to your point, if you can do offer him, you know, eight by twelve, well before anybody has the right to do that, like money talks. That's a pretty compelling case that can smooth over a lot of things. It doesn't mean it's a guarantee he's staying, but as you said, it's like the Canucks do have options here, right? And at a certain point, money. Money goes a long way to solving some of these situations. Well, but what I, what I would say is, too, like, okay, so let's go over some examples of where things have gotten contentious and there's been this sort of chatter. Ryan Johansson in Columbus sure. is an example that looms large. Kyle Turris in Arizona uh, would be one that sort of immediately springs to mind for me. P.K. Subban in Montreal, who ended up signing a bridge but got dealt before the end of it. 
Or no, he ended up signing a long-term deal, got dealt on his mm. long-term deal. Mm-hmm. Shea Weber would be an interesting one where he went to arbitration, got the record award, right? Like, usually arbitrators just cut the baby in half. He signed the offer sheet in Philly, too, did he not? And then yeah. the next yeah. summer, yeah. he signed the offer sheet. And, and again, that offer sheet probably bailed the Predators out. Like, the dynamic there was that Shea Weber decided that he wanted to get it. Shea Weber wanted out of Nashville. Vancouver probably was going to be on the inside track. Canucks management met with him that summer and explained to him, if we sign you to an offer sheet, we do not land you. Right. Our only route to landing you is a one-year offer sheet. Because then you become then, then we guarantee you that you become a unrestricted free agent. Or, um, you know, we, we need to wait a year. So... But 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 the the dynamic there was the CBA was about to expire and every player knew that the league was going to come for max term con like was going to limit the term of contracts to to it ended up being eight years, so Shea Weber signed a, a mega deal before that occurred. So I would say that when players are really motivated to leave, they they find a way to leave eventually, but it's never as simple as that because teams, particularly when you're an RFA, have a ton of rights that they can use to protect themselves. And if it comes to it, the Canucks will have to be prepared to be ruthless in protecting their own interests, particularly given the quality of the player and the value to the organization. So we'll see where it goes. I, I, you know, there's nothing else to say beyond that. Pedersen's not eligible to sign until mm-hmm. July 1. Um, his agent says Pedersen loves Vancouver, hates losing. Makes sense. I think there's enough smoke out there for, for you know, I, I would not blame fans or be like, your angst is misplaced. You know, I think I think given the way that this team has performed, given what we've what we can see of the dynamics, you know, yeah, I, I'm sure it, it would be a concern. What what I would tell you is this though, getting Pedersen's done getting Pedersen done is top priority for this organization. Yep. They're gonna do everything possible to make sure that he's a Canuck long term. And we'll see how it plays out this summer and going forward. But there's a lot of road to run on this story, no matter how it plays out this summer. Uh, Dan in Fort St. John texts in, I'm not worried about EP40 yet. If the drama around the whole organization doesn't die down into next season, then I'll be worried. I think that's a fair gloss on things, right? Like, this is not a crisis situation that's unfolding here, but it's also something that you want to nip in the bud. I disagree. I think it is a massive crisis situation that's unfolding here. I just don't think the crisis is centered around... Well, I don't think it's... Yeah, no, I mean specifically with Elias Pettersson. Yeah, Pettersson's like like a potential front in, in, in an ongoing crisis, but the real crisis is being absolutely dead stuck at the sort of, you know, upper, upper, lower, like... There's this, uh, there's this like sort of hockey truism that there's eight teams at the t- top, eight teams at the bottom, and sixteen teams mm. in the middle, right? And some of those sixteen are trending up, some of those sixteen are trending down. But what if you're stuck as like the fifteenth or sixteenth of those sixteen teams? Yeah, that's who the Canucks are. Yeah, it's and, and well, that's the thing. This year, you and, can't say they're in the mushy middle this season. Um. I still think you can. Oh, man. I no. think they're in the bottom eight, though. Like, they're in the bottom eight by points percentage. They're in the bottom eight by a lot of the underlying numbers. For sure. But there's also been some mitigating factors for me that have caused this team to underperform. The, like, on true talent, on true talent, I don't think there's a huge amount to pick between, between, like, the Canucks, 
the and the Ottawa Senators and the St. Louis Blues and the Nashville Predators. That's fair. And the Detroit Red Wings. And honestly, I might even look higher up the standings and pick some teams that I think have overperformed that I don't think the Canucks are worlds behind, like the Seattle Kraken and the Winnipeg Jets. To be totally honest with you, right? Like, I, I like I don't think it's a miles of difference between those teams. It, those teams to me are in the realm where like it wouldn't stun me with a different coach and a couple of tweaks if the Canucks finish neck and neck with those teams in the standings well, next the, year. The, the, it wouldn't stun me. It wouldn't stun me. The only reason I bet against it is, you know... <laughs> the cra- They're probably the, going to lose Bo Horvat. Well, no. The Kraken have Shane Wright and Maddie Beneers is only going to get better and is already sick, and their defense core is so much more solid, whereas the Winnipeg Jets have, you know... A 23-year-old like Dylan Sandberg, right? Like, who is the Canucks analogy to to a guy like Dylan Sandberg, mm. right? The the Canucks don't have a prospect like, you know, m- much less multiple ones of them, like like Lambert and Chaz Lucius, um, you know, a, a Ville Hanola in in the minor leagues. Like, they're just better set up. They don't have a young player on the roster like a Cole Perfetti, to be totally honest with you, right? I mean. Uh, Hoaglander and Pod Colson, I suppose, could get there, but you know, you're you're some distance from matching them in terms of the talent, the cheap labor that they have coming. So, but but again, I don't think it's a huge gap in a world where like Demko is healthy and performing the way that he mm-hmm. should, right? Mm-hmm. And where you know JT Miller constantly plays the wing, and you know, you you find a way to bring in at least a top four caliber defenseman as opposed to riding this Myers. Oliver Ekman Larson pair, yep. you know, the riding the wheels off it. So again, I think the Canucks are firmly in the mushy middle on true talent. They've just found themselves as things have have sort of dramatically broken against them this season, you know, with a really unique opportunity to lean into that. And they have to. That that to me, even if you're even if you're a quick fix guy, that you have to do. Yeah, and as somebody pointed out, I think it was Disco Stew, like on the t- on the subject of attendance and fan engagement. And I realize it's an incredibly slight possibility, but he, as he said, you know, imagine ticket sales in Connor Bedard's rookie year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you think you'd sell some tickets for you that? Think you'd sell some jerseys. Yeah, I think you would. I think you would. Uh, I don't. I don't know that you could leave the house without seeing a sweater. <laughs> I wanted to read this one too uh, from Andrew in Poco, who says uh, lots of talk of a rebuild on Sportsnet 650. However. Can you guys please explain exactly a re- what exactly a rebuild looks like uh, for you? Does it mean trade everything for draft picks or he says dot, 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 something else? And again, this is something I've said a few times here. I don't think it has to be the full scale. Literally, we're call- like we're trading everyone with a pulse on the roster. We're calling up everyone from the NHL. And I would look at the Montreal Canadiens. Like they're clearly rebuilding. I know they've kind of talked around the word a little bit, but come on, they're rebuilding. Like, they didn't trade Nick Suzuki. You know what I mean? No. Like, you know, like, Nick Suzuki's there. Cole Caulfield's there. Those are the in-house young guys. Now but, they're younger than Patterson well, and Hughes. That, but that's not the big difference between Nick Suzuki and Vancouver's best young players. Nick Suzuki has cost certainty. Yes. Fair enough. But what I'm saying is they didn't – it's not as if you have to trade anyone with talent on the roster. And, in fact, you know, you go out, they make a trade for Kirby Doc, who's – very young fits into that window right they acquire sean he, monahan and he's pick up taking some nice steps since being moved to the wing yeah they sorry they, i just love to bring up kirby doc on the wing because when kirby doc had his breakout season uh, with playing with patrick kane yeah my, like big take it was in the edmonton bubble i'd like drink with hockey people who were like able to be outside the bubble or just like it's yeah, scouts yeah, yeah, and attendance yeah. and stuff and i'd just be like you know kirby doc he's a winger people would kill me for it 
Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I but, like I like that that what that you know. I like to I like to bring up the few times I'm right when like I am. Like Montreal gets Sean Monahan and they get an asset for it. Monahan's helped them win games this year. They might even get able to get another asset. But it's not but they still weren't afraid of getting talent onto the team and you look at the guys who are still there, right? Like Josh Anderson, they acquired Evgeny Dodonov, right? You know, Joel Edmondson is still there. They've made a lot of trades. They've lost a lot of talent too, but it's not as if they're running out this embarrassing roster. And I think there are things you can do where you're making smart moves for the future, right? Like the Sean Monaghan trade is such a great example where you get the asset and then you might even be able to flip him into another asset at some point while he's, but he's still helping your team. You're kind of maintaining that baseline level of competence on the ice. So I don't think it has to look like, hey, you're going to be 32nd out of 32nd for three years running before you even start to think about dad talent. Well, except like, I think there are smart things you can do. Except if you're 32nd out of 32nd for three years running, you're going to be sick. You're going to be absolutely sick. Picking no worse than top three, three years yeah, in a row? Bring but- me that. Sign me up. But I think with the, you, if you go the path that Montreal is, I all think in have- on Gavin McCann. <laughs> No, the, the, the Montreal rebuild is interesting. Because I, I think you have other opportunities. If you're not scared of adding talent when it makes sense, it gives you other opportunities to collect I, assets. I just think by the time you're taking a first-round pick for a bad contract, you know, like the Montreal Canadiens have seven picks in the first four rounds <laughs> this upcoming season, right? Yeah. They own five first-round picks over the next three years. Let's go. That's what I'm talking about. Well, and and you know, you're right though. Like you amass the picks. Yeah. You don't have to use them all. You know, you you get a chance to buy a Kirby Doc, you you can take it. Yeah. You're like, okay, that's interesting. That fits our window. That we makes like sense. that player. And and fits our window because he's actually young. Yes. Not not 24 to 27 young. Right? That to me, yeah. I mean, but but again, that to me is like pretty close to a a full-on tear it down, you know. Um, oh, I agree. Petrie left. I, I'm sure we're going to see them as it becomes possible. Yeah, move the Edmondson, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, but to me, Josh Anderson, I bet at some point there's still a very clear difference between that and the we do no, we actively are going to avoid talent of the Chicago situation. Well, except that Chicago's probably only in on this on that for one year. For one year. Yep. You know, like I'm I'm open to that for a year. I'm open to that for a year leading to something that looks a little bit more like Montreal. But yeah, I mean, the Montreal model looks an awful lot sim- uh, 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 looks awfully similar to the New York Rangers model. No, big shocker, it's the same guy running yeah. it. <laughs> yes. Which honestly looks an awful uh, 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 looks awfully similar to the Shanna plan. So those are your templates, and, and and honestly, the Blackhawks. This is basically the Shanna plan too, in in my mind. It's just yeah, a we'll little see, bit. We'll see how rapidly they start to actually. It's it's you a know. little bit more scorched because they dealt DeBrinket and Doc, who yeah. I think we would all consider like good young players. But you know, it's shades of the same thing. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs dealt Kessel, who was only like 26, 25. You know, and they mm-hmm. retained for six years to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know that it's worlds different. Yeah. It's a little different, but it's it's not worlds different. Or and then and But then, I think the degrees of difference matter there. I do think they I, matter. Sure. And the one that and the but point I'm, I'm trying I'm to get across. I'm comfortable with both. I'm I'm also comfortable with the LA Kings model, which would be identify four key culture guys on your team and trade everyone else, right? Like quick, mm-hmm. quick brown, Kopitar, Doughty. 
everyone else must go, but we're going to do it around these guys. Now, yep. I don't think there's, like, that's, I think, something that would have worked better if you were like, Henrik and Daniel, yes. those are our only guys we're going to try and load up in three years. Yeah, and Henrik, Daniel, Edler, yeah. It would have been amazing in 2017. You would have had a chance to give them one more kick at the can, the way the LA Kings have done for Kopitar. But, you know, so so I don't know that that analogy makes as much sense if it's like, Demko, Hughes, Pedersen, everyone else must go. Yeah. Um. I think I think this team needs something more dramatic than that. And and you know, I don't think the Chicago template's a bad one at all. At all. The biggest point for me is the idea that if you're if you are rebuilding, you're accepting being at the bottom of the standings for like 3 to 5 years. I just don't think that's the Oh case. no, no, no. You should be able in a hard cap league with fully guaranteed yeah. contracts where it's just so hard to be good and to sustain being good. I I don't think I don't think it should take longer than two years of like intentional intentionally bottoming out yeah and then i think what you ha- what you often see happen is if teams do that in a really intelligent but, way but, the opportunities to get better come more quickly than you're expecting for sure but i do think that once you've done that and once you start coming back up you need to be really careful about doing about jumping need, the gun well and and there's a chance like there's a chance that the kings have done it that the kings have been a little bit too impatient you know like now they're too good to land that impact forward. So what if none of their forwards hit? And increasingly, like, Velarde's sort of gone off this year. Mm-hmm. But, like, Turcotte's looking, not trending well. Byfield, you know, is still a question mark. Like, they still need one of those guys to be, like, a high-end driver for them. And if they've pulled out of that cycle too soon, they're not going to get one of those guys again. Like, that's this is it. So I, I still think you have to be really careful about yeah. – when you make and and for me the the relevant comparison here would be you have to be really careful about when you make the JT Miller trade. Right, right. Because if we're being honest, the Canucks locked themselves into this mushy middle window the moment they made that deal. And I think the other point, to even take though from even that, though it panned out and they gave up a a, tw- a 20th overall first, you know, like they they had Hughes, they had Pedersen, right? They picked in the top ten four or five years in that cycle. I think maybe five of six. Did they add five of six because they got uh, Pod Colson? Well, yeah, well, also... 19, 18, 17, 16, 15. And, well, 15 was outside the top 10, but okay. it was Besser. But 14... So four of five there, and then 14 as well. Yeah. Okay, so six of five in the top 10. You should be good if you don't, you know, do everything wrong for 10 years. But, but unfortunately, this team did, so you kind of have to repeat the process. It doesn't have to be... As dramatic though as like five in the in the top five, but you know you you're probably looking for two or three more because because you can see it you can see it on the ice every night you can see the sort of difference that Pedersen and Hughes make, but they don't have enough elite yeah. running mates. You don't have you have sort of seventy percent of McKinnon and McCarr. What you don't have is your Rannon. What you don't have is your Devontae. So what you don't have is your Bowen Byram. You don't have those additional running mates, the other elite complementary players that put teams over the top in this league. That's what the Canucks don't have. Last text here uh, says, but tanking for two or three years in a row creates a loser culture and can damage your team, a la the Oilers sorry, and Sabres. Sorry, what, what, yeah. what, First are you, of all, what are you looking at? They're doing what are a lot you of watching? Losing. But second of all, I don't know. Are the Habs under Martin Saint-Louis developing a losing culture? I don't follow them day in, day out, but it doesn't seem like it to me. Seems like San Luis is doing a pretty good job of avoiding that. 
I don't think it's a it's did the written in stone that it has to happen like that. Did the are the Tampa Bay Lightning still held back by their loser culture that allowed them to pick Stamkos and Hedman? And Hedman? You know how about the uh, how about the loser culture of the um, you know b- top ten picking Boston Bruins in two thousand six and two thousand seven? You know, like losing culture. I mean, the Washington Capitals lost for like six years. Mm-hmm. Six. They picked in the top three. In the top three, three years in a row. And they duffed one of those picks, Carl Alsner. He was maybe fifth. So maybe it was top five, three years in a row. I mean, Alsner, like, yeah, he was still a good not player. No, yeah, he's not he a bust. Played really, really well for them. But I'm just saying, it wasn't an elite piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, the LA Kings spent almost my entire teenage life, like from Gretzky to 2009. Like, the LA Kings were kind of a joke. Like, there was, like, a short-lived period with Demetra and Ziggy Palfi where they were, mm-hmm. like, kind of a playoff team, I guess, in the late 90s when they used to wear black and purple. Remember that? Mm-hmm. But, like, they, there was almost nothing to write home about for 10 years, and then they became this playoff machine. Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Joke, like, like, joke of the league. Joke of the league. And, and in the original six era, too, like, the Blackhawks have never had a winning culture until they became this, you know, the modern equivalent of a franchise over the last 15 years. So, yeah, I mean, the fact is, is that one thing we do know perpetuates losing culture and it's whatever this team's been doing for the last decade. So stop it. There, there, there's no the Canucks are now locked into a cycle of being terrible. That's every bit as long as the Oilers was. That's every bit as long as the Islanders was like this is as bad as it gets now. There's no look at what happened to them. There's only what's happened to this team. This is as grim as it gets. This is as grim as it gets without massive financial turmoil in a non-traditional hockey market. Period. So do Uh, something else. That's it. All right. We're late. We got to take a break here. More Canucks talk coming up. It's Sportsnet 650. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650, Friday edition of the show, uh, which of course means we have Dmitry Filipovich from the Hockey PDO cast coming up to join us in the final segment. And we're uh, going to draft teams with Super Bowl chances. We're we just going to straight up talk football. Yes. Not for the whole time, but eh, at the end. Most of it. <laughs> I'll just let you guys do your uh, playoff gambling preview for the NFL. <laughs> I'll step out. Um, I really like Brock Purdy over five and a half rushing yards in the rain. <laughs> it's going to be a really bad weather game, so I always like QB rushing overs in bad weather. Just Oh, man. The four-yard scramble he goes on. You're going to just be yelling at the TV. Oh, man. Well, there, there, there was – who was it? It was Dolphins, Bills. What is the- that spot, ref? <laughs> It was Dolphins, Bills in the snow, and I was up in Pemberton with my family watching the game, um, dur- like just before the holidays. Yeah, and uh, and the, every every play, I, I apparently started yelling like one of those things that I didn't realize, but like every Bills snap, um, I'd yell, I'd yell QB draw, like do a QB draw, that's the key. And then finally, finally, there was like a third and long, and they went to a QB draw for like a twenty-five yard scramble, and I was like, see. <laughs> And obviously, my same game parlay paid off on just that play. Um, yeah, one of my favorite bits. <laughs> yeah, you know, just, uh, you're just the disgust in no, your voice when the, you're like, yeah. You know the uh, 
he writes uh, NFL for the ringer, Ben Solak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one of my favorite bits he does on Twitter is, uh, you know, big game on Sunday night or whatever. He'll be like, the key the key to this game for the Eagles is that A.J. Brown gets over 88 and a half <laughs> receiving <laughs> yards. <laughs> to me, that's the most important thing in this game. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I did want to play this. Before we get back into the text message inbox, uh, I did want to play the clip of Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick show today, talking about a little bit about uh, the Tanner Pearson injury situation, which of course was prompted by Quinn Hughes's comments last night, uh, his reaction and also where it's headed with the league and potentially the players association. And, you know, I, I think uh, we're all really curious to see, you know, exactly where this is going to go, this particular situation, um, you know, by the Canucks own tweets yesterday, He's had at least three procedures, and I'm under the impression there's more coming. Um, and uh, it sounds like a, you know, the, the thing about this is, you know, you and I did a lot of work on Eichel, and it was it yep. was a big medical situation, and I think it's it's going to be a big discussion point between uh, the league and the players' association whenever we do our next CBA. So, like, the number one thing I think about when I see that is, is this going to be another situation where the league and the players association are going to have to get involved to potentially sort this out? And because uh, that's that just based on my internal lean and what I've seen, it sounds like we're headed in that mm. direction. That's Elliot Freeman again reporting that it sounds like, uh, at least right now, we'll see how it develops, that the league and the players association might end up getting involved in the Tanner Pearson situation. Of course, it's, you know, he's had at least three procedures. Sounds like more coming. I know Dolly wall was reporting that there might be uh, an infection involved here. We don't know the exact details, but obviously as Quinn Hughes said, not a great situation for Tanner Pearson to be in. And uh, as Elliot Friedman says, if like, if the league and the PA are involved, this is going to be a kind of a long-term developing story. And, you know, we talked about the process of, of rebuilding trust, and I, I I was talking about the players. You brought it up with the fan base as well. And I do think pretty soon here we're going to have to hear from somebody in Canucks management, right? Not just because of Quinn Hughes' comments about Tanner Pearson, although that certainly plays into it. That's something you, you're going to want to respond to at a certain point. But you just think about everything that's transpired this week. The team's performance on the ice, the Oliver ekman Larson scratch, the reports that they're interested in bringing in Rick Tockett. I, I know they have the two days off after the game on Sunday against Carolina before they play Tampa at home. And, you know, it's funny because I think they need to get out and talk, but I also... It's one of those situations where you have to have the press conference, but I'm not sure what it's going to do to get a lot of people to change a lot of people's tunes. No, but either. You, you just can't hide. No, you got to do it. You have to. You have to be out front. Like someone needs to speak for this mess and answer for it, but also to try and explain to the fans what what's going on. Like obviously, this team didn't want to be this poor in terms of on ice performance this season, but based on Rutherford's commentary at the end of last season, based on 
his commentary in November. You know, it doesn't feel like this is a huge shock to them either. Mm-hmm. So how does that square with the decision to extend JT Miller and, you know, pursue Ilya Mikheyev and, you know, what should we expect from Kuzmenko and Bo Horvat? And, you know, what's next? What what Where's this club postured leading up to the trade deadline? I think it's important to give fans some sense of that. They shouldn't just be hearing it from people doing their best guesswork or people who are talking on the phone to management. They should hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. It's vital. You know, I don't think Patrick Alvin's done availability since after the sep- uh, the seven-game road trip. Yeah, well, he's definitely spoke he did quickly after, hours. after they acquired either Studnika or Bear. In or Seattle. maybe both of them. Okay, yeah. so that was that was game... That was the first win of the season, so yes. that was game eight. Mm-hmm. I think that might be it. That might be the last time I've spoken with him in terms of um, you know a, a media availability environment. Yeah, I mean, at some point, yeah, you need to you need to own it. They need they they are the face of this team. They are in charge. So yeah, I think it's vital that we hear from them. I think coming back from this road trip is the perfect time to do it. Uh, I think especially in the wake of the Pearson news, we really have to have a chance to understand what's gone on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's um, that's sort of where we stand at the moment. It's uh, it's a tough job for a reason, right? Yes, it is. And yeah, I'll be honest, I understand that Patrick Ovin naturally plays things close to the vest, right? He's also still learning how to operate in 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 Vancouver as the general manager. I understand all that. I I would like to hear a little bit more openness. Like I understand there's there's a reason that some executives want to you know keep things very tight lipped, keep things uh, wrapped up. I, I think they're in a situation now where a little bit more openness, a little bit more directness, uh, I think would go a long way with the fan base. I wanted to address this text. Okay, it's pretty hard to win when you don't have your number one goaltender. Everybody understands that except the media. So I'm going to start here. I'm going to do like a fisking of this text <laughs> game right. because, okay. because it upset me. Do you know who's been without their starter all year? Just This is going to be a bit. Just go like, okay. who? Who? The Vegas Golden Knights. Yep. Do you know who has $10 million worth of goaltenders that they don't even use? Who? The Seattle Kraken. Do you know who spent a month without their best young goaltender? Who? <laughs> the Dallas Stars. Do you know who went a month without either their starter or their backup healthy? You can answer if you know. Toronto. <laughs> I got it. Nailed got it. it. Nailed, Nailed it. it. Do you know who also hasn't had their starting goaltender, their highest paid goalie, play a single game for them all season? Who? The Carolina Hurricanes. Do you know who's without their starter at the moment? Who? The Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> These are good teams. Guess what? Good teams can win games without their goalie. Good teams aren't so dependent on their goalie. Yeah. And you know, that actually, they look like one of the league's worst teams without him. It's actually Stop not it. just the media that is like not buying into Demko makes this team a contender. Because you know who else has said that explicitly? Jim Rutherford. <laughs> well, we have a good goalie, but that's not enough. So then, then this. Text continues. Nothing needs to change with the Canucks except getting Demko back to form. Forget about rebuild. That's going to take forever to get competitive. No, this is going to take forever to get competitive. They're close as soon as they get Demko back. How guys? How come you guys don't understand that? Because you are terribly wrong. 
never say things like this in public again. It is better to be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Awful takes. All right. Whew. I'm embarrassed for you. All right. Sorry. Let's move on. Woo. All right. Mount Drance exploding over here at that texture. Um, well, it was just such a bad argument. Well, here's the thing. They're not a good Please, defense. please. Like, I want to encourage you to use the 650-650 Dunbar-Lumber text line, but don't send stuff like that in. Holy cow. Unless you're looking specifically to annoy Thomas Drance, and then go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> go absolutely nuts. Oh, goodness. And here's the thing. They're like... You can't look at this team and argue they're good defensively. I didn't know you could text a fart until I read that text. Truly you, amazing. You can't look at this team and argue that they're good defensively. Like, could they get better goaltending? Of course they could. Of course they well, could. Yeah. Would it make much difference? No. <laughs> no. They're dismal defensively. They're so bad. Hey, I uh, I don't know. <sighs> let's 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 talk here. One thing I really enjoyed last night. I'm All gonna right. do a serious thing I really enjoyed last night. The pass from Quinn Hughes to JT Miller was amazing. It was good. But what I really liked was the shimmy in the neutral zone. Like, you don't often see this, but you know what Quinn Hughes looked like? He looked like a quarterback in the pocket where they find, like, he he sort of put the puck to his left and then shimmied and didn't recapture the puck until he had the lane. That's all world. That's amazing stuff from Quinn Hughes. There are very few people on this planet that can make that play. I loved every second of it. And I love JT Miller's finish, too. That was a great deke. By the way, I mean, you know, if you're on uh, Team Lottery Odds, Team Tank, like Pedersen scores, Quinn Hughes scores, you know, like an exciting final uh, final five minutes of the game. But oh, ideal. Incredible final play. Oh, unbelievable. So Curtis Lazar, did like what I don't understand is I can understand why he would be on the ice if you needed to win a draw, but you've also got Miller and you've got Pedersen. You've got three centermen on the ice. Yeah, he was the fourth centerman you had on the ice. Now he's the only righty, but are you that concerned about the strong side faceoff guy, or or did they literally think he's a better option for them at the net front needing a goal than Horvat and Kuzmenko? No. Strong side face-off. That has to be the explanation. Anyway, anyway, we don't have to go too deep into it. That's for the post-game show. Beyond me, I just want to point out, like, it's absurd that they'd put that deck chair there on the Titanic. <laughs> like, how mad can you get about that? It is just given, kind of Given like, this organization's myriad other issues. It, like, who even cares? It's just, like, the cherry on top of everything. You know what I mean? It's like, well, that was weird. <laughs> That was kind of odd. Why did that happen? Uh, <laughs> Quick, get Drance some canned fish. He's angry. <laughs> I like this one as well. Why is Drance so triggered? Everyone knows that anything can happen. Stop it. <laughs> Somebody else brought back, are we bringing back the let's trigger Drance segment? I mean, that's the whole show at this point. We don't need to, we don't need to bring back the segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just send in some good takes, and just send in some really, really good, uh, really, really good takes. Uh, other thing, t- speaking about like things that don't really matter, but we're still odd. Okay, the Connor Garland thing, like, yeah, well, that should have been a penalty. Like, they what should have had a five on three? What is happening? Yeah, and I know this isn't even like, a, oh, the Canucks should have tied the game or whatever, because like whatever. But like, what's the NHL doing, guys? It's after the play. He's just standing there. Guy punches him in the face. What what kind of league is this? 
had a coworker works at eleven thirty come in while I was doing prep, and she's like, "You're like, you're a sports guy. Like, what's happened? What? Explain it to me." Like, I wish I could. Yeah, no, that should have been a it's penalty. The NHL. Yeah. Sometimes there's a blatant, dangerous play that happens right in front of the referees, and they just decide not to call it. Well, I didn't like that one, and I didn't like the Peterson hit on Nemesnikov. Yes. I thought those were the two blown calls in that game. Like, the Canucks should have had a five-on-three late, and I thought it was the height of ridiculousness that the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't end up with a power play out of the Peterson hit on Nemesnikov. That was a terrible hit. Yeah, I agree. Also, was it this game or the last game where Pedersen – I saw a lot of chatter about a soft hooking call on Pedersen. I think it was the Pittsburgh game, so yes, never mind. But I think it was game. Dumoulin, right, who fell into the wall? That was a really dangerous play from Pedersen and needs to be called every single time. That was, like, reckless. It wasn't soft. Anyway. Um, yeah, look, I actually thought it was mostly a well-officiated game. I didn't think there was a ton to take away from it. Uh, negative. I don't know if you from... can – like, those two, those are two really big misses, though. Because, like, job number one is protect the safety of the players on the ice. Yeah, you know what right. I mean? You're right. So I don't really know you can – when you blow those Sorry. two calls. Uh, you know what? As much as I, like, demand high standards of the Canucks, I should remember to have them for the NHL, too, and I just sometimes don't. Well, they've just – they have <laughs> they have spent so many years just, like, relentlessly lowering our standards, lowering our expectations for what we can expect from NHL referees, right? Like, that, we, we are trained to just kind of shrug and go, oh – I don't know. That's the NHL for you. Um, sorry, I, this the guy I may have um, buried uh, texts back. Who cares about those other teams, buddy? We care about the Canucks. Yeah, you don't you don't care that your take is massively provably wrong based on a list of ten relevant teams that have also been without their starter and continued to su- uh, succeed. He says I'm embarrassing, and I'm not helping anything. Stick to my Gavin McKenna takes. I will. That I will. Finally, some. We gold. are the number one source for Gavin McKenna, <laughs> Gavin McKenna related takes and analysis. Uh, we're all like we're all over the 2026 draft class here on Canucks. Talk. Actually, somebody else texted in. It's way down in the inbox now, so I can't find it. But texted in like two other names to watch in the 2026 class. <laughs> Immediately went to elite prospects to check them out. Uh, that's what we're all about here. Um, 650, 650. Continue to get your thoughts in. Uh, this one, uh, Jay says, Drancer's about to reach his final form. <laughs> And somebody else said, uh, I just had an image of old man Drance and it reminds me. He said of Seinfeld's dad, but I think he probably means George's dad, Costanza. Right. Okay. Because Seinfeld's enough. dad was very mild mannered. Yeah, yeah. For the most part. You could get upset, but <laughs> yeah. Costanza was amazing. <laughs> so good. So there you go. Well, okay. And then the So there's one other thing I want to talk about. But from the game? Slipped... Um just from the Canucks generally. It may have slipped my mind. Anyway, whatever. I'll remember it. I'll remember it later. But uh, but yeah, thanks for the good texts. That was fun. That uh, was fun. You know, sometimes you just need to, need a release, especially at the end of a long work week watching the... Oh, okay. Here it is. This road trip's been perfect, though, right? Oh, oh, and... and Okay, so this road trip's been perfect in terms of results. Sure. The hockey's been fun to watch, right? I think they're going to win Saturday in Florida. Oh, yeah, I guess we should talk. We'll talk about it a little bit with Dimitri, but yeah. I think they're going to win Saturday in Florida. One thing to watch in Florida. Well, yeah, you're right. We'll get into it with Dimitri. The one thing I was going to say as a preview is uh, first game back from a road trip for Florida. I think they're playing man defense, which you don't often see. So watch them in the defensive zone because I think Paul Maurice has them playing man defense as opposed to zone uh, on in-zone play. This is what my observations from watching the Panthers, which I do a lot. 
and uh, I'm uh, I'm not like hockey coach smart. I can't like tell you for sure that they're watching mm. they're playing man defense, but I think they are. And if that's the case against this offensive attack, the Canucks are going to score some goals. Now they're going to surrender a lot of rush chances, but Canucks are going to score some goals. And last thing before we go, we crushed it on our watch watch checklist. Don't, don't say we. You want to pat yourself on the back. That's no. all right. Vasilevsky I played did. great. I did throw Vasilevsky in there, yeah, and, so and you, he makes the save. We to end the did game. it together. We did it. We did it, yes. Good job, bud. <laughs> and well by the way, I just want to confirm that it's not just on the air. Drance texted the Canucks Talk group chat that we have with us and producers <laughs> Dom and Lena during the game to be like, I got him all right. I got him all right. Brain point creating off the rush. <laughs> Stamkos gets the shot that <laughs> you is for sure a goal if he doesn't miss. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. That was fun. That was good. You did it. Uh, all right. <laughs> Dmitry Filipovich coming up next. Final segment of the week. We'll preview some upcoming games and, you know, just talk about whatever with our guy, Dmitry. Uh, final segment of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final segment of the week. Live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, Drance has had a, a moment to settle down, to take some deep breaths, a serenity now mantra or two. Yeah, I mean, I've, I find losing my temper very clarifying. Cathartic. Yeah, cathartic, exactly. Uh, but here's some good Feeling news. Great. So the texter you were, you were having a little back and forth with there, and he told you to stick to Gavin McKenna takes. He texts back in to say, I'm serious about the Gavin McKenna takes. I've seen him play in Victoria. He's unreal. <laughs> so we're building some common ground here, Drancer. There we go. We're all into Gavin McKenna. We're all into Gavin McKenna, even if some of us have lost touch. <laughs> with, with the reality facing this team. Uh, as we do every time this week. This time of week on Friday, final segment, we welcome our pal Dmitry Filipovich, host of the Hockey PDO cast, in studio with us to uh, take a look ahead and also just kind of do whatever as well. Uh, Dmitry, do you, are, are you aware of Gavin McKenna? I am not. Okay. So Gavin McKenna, eligible for the 2026 NHL okay, draft. Nice. Yeah, he has six points in nine games he in just, the dub this He year. just recently turned 15, but he had played nine games in the dub as a 14-year-old and scored six six points from Whitehorse, if he, you can believe it. Oh, wow. Well, only 160 pounds? He's going to have to put on some weight. Yeah. Okay. And NHL scouts question his size. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's going to have to get stronger and work on his skating. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's my scouting report. Got dynamic offensive talent, though. He's, he's going to have to get older. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyways, we're uh, we're trying to be first on the bandwagon for Gavin McKenna. Nice. That's our goal here. I think we. Canucks I think talk. we've. Achieved I think it. we've achieved it. Yeah, <laughs> easily. I think we're raising Gavin McKenna's profile yeah. significantly is, in the lower mainland. This is how invested we are in the Canucks should rebuild bit. We're, we're Things projecting. have gotten bleak in the studio. <laughs> Very bleak. No, see, I'm all about turning it into a positive. It's like, oh, great! I, I can I get to track this player's career now for years to come. How exciting! This this exciting young player. What a joy that is! It's not that exciting. <laughs> hey, so. We've got Dimitri. Mm -hmm. We're doing the PDO report. The Canucks play back to back this weekend yep. and then come home and play a couple teams that we've recently talked about. Yes. So really, we're going to treat this as like an extended preview of the games this weekend. And then we're going to talk NFL, which I'm telling you what the texters to the inbox are very excited about one begging. Please trance. Don't predict football. You barely know anything about hockey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fair they, point, fair point. they let us do a, um, Blue Jays Mariners playoff preview show. Ah, yeah, that was 
We nailed it. Any, yeah. Series <laughs> <laughs> was over before yeah. I got home. Um, okay. The Florida Panthers. Yes. Are they playing man defense in zone? It looks to me like they're playing man defense in zone. Yes. Although they are, right? Yeah. Oh. But I mean, talk about burying the lead. I feel like we need to talk about their offense, right? Yeah. Because that's that's the story with that team. It, it went is. from being the best regular We've season seen... offensive team ever. Yeah. To not that. Oh, their underlying numbers are still right up there, but they're just not as efficient as they were, which shouldn't necessarily be a total surprise. Um, but obviously been disappointing and they just look like an entirely different team so far this season. Is it the Paul Maurice effect? Is it that simple? Yeah, I mean it's bleak when uh when Rick Bonus takes over your previous job and looks <laughs> like a an offensive savant unlocking Josh Morrissey, as we've talked about for two yeah. straight PDO reports, yes. I think. Um so we don't need to do a third on that. But yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been unfortunate. Now, listen, like they're kind of handicapped in terms of what they can do. Whenever anyone's out, they basically just have to play a man short. They can't replace them in the lineup because of how tied up against mm. the cap they are. So that was always going to be an issue heading into the season. That which is why I viewed it as a bit of a a bridge year for them, right? Like yeah. they, the whole logic behind trading Uyghur and Huberto for Kachuk was maybe you take a slight step back this year or at least a lateral move, but you're going to be better for it long term because you just signed up this guy for all of his prime seasons as opposed to being on the hook for yeah. whatever Huberto is for the rest of his contract. The, the so. problem, though, is like, are, are they're going to be in tough to make the playoffs here. Yeah, and they're down their first-round pick to That's Montreal saying, for the eventual right? trade, yeah. Can you imagine surrendering a first-round pick in 2023 for Ben Chirot? Can you imagine it? A lottery pick, I can. potentially. I lived it. I saw it. I, I, I followed it last year. <laughs> I, I, as a national writer, I had to talk about it, yeah. But, like, at the time, I don't remember hearing, like, mm. oh. Well, you know, I didn't even consider it. Like, no one considered it as a possibility that there would be a lottery pick, yeah. They, they, you really, like, what if Montreal gets Bedard from that pick? For Ben Chirot? I'm going to be furious if that's how this plays out. I'm just telling you right now. I'm going to go off. <laughs> Why? That'll be amazing. <laughs> It'll just upset me. Drance has a soft spot for the Panthers. It does, you might, yeah. you might oh, have really? heard. What? You might have heard once or twice. I've, I've heard about the Leafs, but not the Panthers. <laughs> so, aside from that, mm-hmm. like Matthew Kachuk, still Matthew Kachuk. Well, he's been like if they were if they were in the playoff hunt, like I, I think he'd le- get legitimate MVP votes. Yeah, like not not for winning it, but I think he'd be on ballots because he's been that good. Like he's been everything that we thought he would be in terms of like reshaping their offensive approach and stuff. They're just nothing else beyond that really right like so it's it's they don't have anything to fall back on but he himself has been fantastic are they mobile enough on the back having lost Mackenzie Weger? yeah I think so 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 do you think the issue is mostly systemic at this point yeah I mean they're just not attacking off the rush as much as they did last year where they were like the best team in the league at that right mm. so I think we should have expected a bit of a step back I don't I don't think the defensive mobility like you look it's still like Forsling Montour and Ekblad's obviously not the most fleet of foot but he can get up and down the ice fine yeah I don't think that's the biggest issue. I think the forward group has been actually, ironically, a much bigger issue, right? It's like it's a lot of Eric Stahl. It's a lot. It's a lot of like trying to patch together and make it work in the bottom six. And I think that's been the biggest issue, if anything. What have you seen that like Paul Maurice has actually tangibly changed from what they were doing mostly under Andrew Burnett last year? Yeah, I think it's just I think it's just a matter of like they're 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 playing slower as a team, right? Like they don't have that sort of snowball effect where last year, even if they went down four nothing early in a game. You like almost had confidence that they were going to come back eventually. They just, it almost, it's like a toothless attack, really. And and so it's a shame because as a fan, it was incredibly fun to watch last season and we're, don't get to experience it anymore. So that, that's, that's a shame. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of, that's been the biggest departure for me. And, and when you look at that division now in particular, right? Like up top, 
Boston, Tampa Bay, Toronto, even Buffalo plays like such a mm. more high octane style than them. It's it's mm-hmm. it's been it's been quite a step back for them in that regard. Are they in trouble long term given all that they gave up just to win one playoff round? Considering Boston's come or sorry, considering Buffalo's coming, considering what we're seeing out of the Red Wings this season? Yes. Yeah, and and, and you know mentioned Ottawa there, who I think, you know, has disappointed this season, but I think still generally has they're, they're, a they're, brighter future in terms of like younger assets that they have. They're right? a GM away from being a playoff team. Yeah, maybe a coach too. Um here's the thing. There's no way Sergey Bobrovsky's on this roster next season. But how do you get rid of him? Well that's what I'm that that's gonna make the situation even more bleak. But I think they kind of telegraphed that once they gave Spencer Knight the extension, right? Like you just you're not spending fifteen million dollars up against the cap on goalies. I think you might have to. Nah. I don't know. Bobrovsky's money in terms of what he's actually owed in real dollars comes down quite a bit after they pay his next signing bonus. Um, I've never told our our listeners this, but Jamie will vouch for me. I'm obsessed. He, this is 100% true. I'm obsessed with finding ways for the Vancouver yes. Canucks to, to get the Bobrovsky contract as a way of shedding bad I would say like the number money. one thing that comes up when we're just like spitballing, yeah. like, you know, blue sky things for the Canucks to do, the number one thing that Drance brings up is... Well, Take assets for Bobrovsky. As Dimitri is explaining, it's so bleak for them. Yeah, it's yeah. going to hold them back so significantly. If you're a team that's not that close, like here, what's what's another thing that's true about Bobrovsky's deal? It's a year shorter than Oliver ekman Larson's. <laughs> I'm just saying. Tom, I hate to break it to you, but OEL is not getting moved. No, I know. He's got that it's, no move. He's got that no well, move. Also, like, it's, it's, uh, we, should, we, should, we should do a draft of the worst contracts in the league one one day that's actually good that's a good idea it, it, we will we can't do it, we can't do it today it. yeah we have we will we'll do but it maybe would next you, week would you would you handicap like you know minus minus 200 for the bobrovsky deal or minus 200 for the oliver ekman larson deal i think bobrovsky is probably more more movable because i think that florida is going to be desperate enough to facilitate it yeah like i think it's going to come with like a significant premium paper but he but... has the nmc too yeah but they've already given him so much money i think i think he'll go wherever I think <laughs> I, I think know. once he gets that next signing bonus check, he'll. Oh, man. But of course, Drance, part the, of your theory is the Ian Clark, Sunny Sunny right? Isles, Sunny Isles rules super vibrant Russian expat community. Right. I think it's really hard to convince a Russian national to leave Sunny Isles. Really hard. Yeah. Um, on Florida, outside of like obviously Kachuk, mm-hmm. uh, Barkov, fantastic. You know Ekblad. We know the big names. Who should Canucks fans be excited to watch? tomorrow that they might not see on a regular basis <laughs> that's a great question <laughs> i mean i think i, I think you, is there anyone well i'm interested in in sam reinhardt i don't know if you included him in that list no i did. just said not that he's the most like exciting player stylistically to watch but obviously a local guy and his name has come up quite a bit in trade rumors here he's been linked to, to seattle he's been linked to a number of other teams i'm curious to see what happens with that i, I think he's had a pretty miserable season in terms of like, if you go back and watch all the tape, it's just Matthew Kachuk setting him up for one-timers in the slot and him not converting. Like, he really should have, like, 25 <laughs> goals so far this season, at least, and he just hasn't had a year up to his standard. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to see what they do with that and if he actually... Because once you hear Friedman and Saravelli like, independently talking about it on their shows, respectively, it's like, all right, this is, like, this is a thing, right? It's not just one kind of speculatory throw out there. It's like both guys are talking about it. All of a sudden, I think there's some some merit to it. Uh, there you go. Okay. Interesting. Uh, on Sunday, the back-to-back Carolina. I know your favorite team to watch, oh, yes. Dimitri. You yeah. love it. You love the style they play. They're yeah. so exciting. Dimitri loves stress hockey. Yeah. 
I mean, how many the, shots? Uh, how many shots? <laughs> well, the game where they put up sixty-seven. Well, how many? How many? What? What over under on Her- Carolina Hurricanes shots on goal? Like, where would I have to set it for you to bet the under against a Carolina Hurricanes team that shoots this freely? Considering the following facts: Vancouver can't defend a lick. Yep. Their penalty kill can't kill a mayfly, which is, by the way, the creature on the planet with the shortest life expectancy. Okay. And they're going to be playing a 22-hour back-to-back. Right. On the road. Now, the one mitigating factor is I believe Carolina plays Saturday night as well. But at home, I think. So, no travel. And do they have the 22-hour back-to-back? Let me look. Probably. Okay. I mean, my initial inclination was to say like 49 and a half. As the under in terms of shots on goals, I pro- you'd have to list it at under just because kind of leaving the room for if they go up early, maybe they don't as aggressively like keep the right. pedal to the metal. So somewhere in the 40s, I'd guess, is a pretty conservative estimate, right? Yeah. But as Jamie said, they did just have a 67 shot on yeah. goal game. So Yeah. Well, I was so I was looking at the most scoring chances given up, and it's like all of the games, like there's 17 games in which teams have generated more than 50 scoring chances and like four or five of them are Carolina. Like they're just a yeah. machine to generate pressure. Are, are, are they a legit contender this year? Yeah. Yeah. They're on the short list of like whatever five or six teams you want to list. But, I'm still skeptical of like their true ceiling in the playoffs against not only a stingy defense, but an elite goalie. Mm-hmm. Just Cause we've seen that style kind of bump into like a ceiling of sorts for them where they it's a lot of shots from the outside, a lot of low efficiency looks, and it's like Shesterkin and Vasilevsky are just gonna eat that up every single game. Some of the players who've played there say that once you get to the playoffs, everyone starts playing like this, yeah. which reduces their advantage once they get into the postseason. Um, you know, what what sort of makes them special is they're disciplined about playing playing playoff hockey for eighty two games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how big a challenge is that for a Canucks team. Well, is there which... a bigger disparity between effort level than two teams in the league right now? <laughs> no. I mean, if the, if the like, structurally speaking, right, if the Carolina Hurricanes are the Eiffel Tower, where yeah. you can, like, see the bones, the Canucks are flubber from the beloved Robin Williams movie. God, I would love to see Rod Brindamore and JT Miller <laughs> coexist that would be amazing it would be pretty how uh, how well does Pacioretty fit well he just got doing? banged up again um, so I'm not sure if he's even going to be playing that game now it was unrelated to the Achilles injury he was coming yeah. back from but a 34 year old coming off an Achilles tear um, getting hurt again it's not great it's always but they got him for free right which is one of the luxuries of, less than free they got yeah, paid they got paid, yeah exactly um, but he gives them something they need in terms of like He's a volume shooter, which they have, but he's a very willing party in that. Sure. So, like, they were playing him with uh, with Aho and, and Jarvis, and basically he just stands in the slot, and they get it to him, and he shoots. And it's like, yeah, that's a pretty good it's gig. Good life. So it's a good life. In, in his four games, he had, like, 25 or, 30, or like, something shot attempts sure. in his four games. So he's going to love life there, assuming he can stay on the ice. And I hope he, I hope he does, because he's, he's still a pretty good player. With Martin Neches, 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 yeah. Third time's a charm. <laughs> um, unleashed this year. Yeah. As as a buy low guy, mm-hmm. that's that's past, right? Do you think you're oh, at yeah. the, do, you, do you think you're at the point where the Hurricanes would hang up if you asked about you say his name for me, Natchez? Yeah. Faster than they would if you asked about Svechnikov? No, 
I, I don't think so, but certainly, I mean, we're the, getting there though. We're getting the, the close. window has closed, and you can vouch for this. We spent many, many a fine afternoon this past summer talking about how walking quickly. up and down the beaches of Spanish banks with our dogs, <laughs> and I was like, I do not understand what is happening right now. Yeah, <laughs> like why did the Blackhawks take that package for Debrinkat instead of just like taking Natchez and then either having him be their number one center for the next ten years or rebuilding his value to what he's doing now and then like flipping him for yeah. much more than what they got for to bring. But, and I don't understand. The other difference between Sveshnikov and Natchez is that they have Sveshnikov locked up, right? And now yes. they're going to have to pay Natchez at some point. We'll see what it is, yeah. right? But that's something to track. All right. I mean, I feel like we all have a pretty good handle on what Carolina is at this point, I, I, how yeah. they play. Yeah, well, we got to move on to football. We got to <laughs> move on to football. <laughs> I'm really excited. About the it. audience is just sitting there like, when are they going to talk about the NFL? So yes. do we want to just, do we want to draft Super Bowl teams or uh, do you want to get some hot gambling takes off before we do that? Well, because we don't want to do this every week. This is literally a, like, the Canucks have given us nothing good to talk about this week. So we're going to talk football. So yeah, let's draft. There's what, 14 teams in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Six games this weekend with two teams on by. The Chiefs, and the, the Eagles. Eagles. So let's pick what I mean, how our, our usual draft the results nine. in us having yeah, we'll yeah. draft nine teams and whoever holds the Super Bowl winner wins the draft. Sure. What do we win? I like this one because we what have we an win? actual Yeah, no, that's a good question. Well no, we all of them have like an actual like at the end we'll do an accounting and figure out who drafted best. It's definitely not me. No, but some of them are totally arbitrary. Like there's no there's no objective criteria for best. NHL defense pair. Yeah, but we'll know. <laughs> we'll just know. In yeah. your the heart, vibes. in your heart, you will know who won. Okay, all right, that's good. Uh, who wants to go first here? All right, um, you go, Drance. Okay, so I'm going first. Yeah, sick. Um, I've been thinking about the game theory here. The Bills are the betting favorite, but I think the AFC, those three AFC teams, offer you something of a crapshoot if you're taking any of them. Like, I don't actually feel confident that the Bills emerge out right. of the AFC. They have to play each other. Yeah. Right. Whereas I think San Francisco is worlds better than everybody else in the NFC. So I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off the board. I'm going to reach for, for my guy Brock Purdy in the San Francisco 49ers. Okay. Unreal. Taking Brock Purdy first overall. I think it's the right call because I, I just think that field is... You know, people are, like, aggressively debating Cowboys versus Tampa. Like, come on. Okay, Tampa's terrible. So, I'll go I'll, – just since the way we're seated, I'll go second and yes. then Jamie can yes. go. This is, this is the problem with what you just did, Jens. I have to take the Eagles here because they have the round one by in the NFC, and I think they have I mean, a smoother path. Like, they're going to have to yeah. eventually play San and Francisco. And you love Jalen Hurts. But I love them in round two, yeah. regardless of who they play. But if I do that – and Jamie back to back just gets to go Bills Chiefs. Yeah, it's true. And or can we can we allow him to do collusion that? collusion at the draft I table? Think, oh, he's I'm not he's just sitting over there. He's just, wow, he's just talking out loud. I'm just I'm just mapping it out. I'm trying I, to I figure out I, who's going to fall to me after this. I don't think I think you if you the good thing about taking the Eagles. Yeah, like I think if you don't take the Eagles, he will. Right, oh, of but course. if you if you. Don't no, take the Eagles, then, then you get the then you teams. get one of the AFC Giants on the way back. You just don't get to choose which one. No, because he gets Snake, Snake, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so you get to take you, both so of them. Drancer is throwing the Bengals, the Bengals, on the Bengals way back. in there. Oh, oh, come on. The Bengals are awesome. The Cincinnati BBs? All right. Cincy BBs. Okay, I will go Philadelphia Eagles, second overall. 
Chiefs, Bills. Back to you, Dimitri. <laughs> Easy. You are dead right. You are dead right. That yeah, I, was gonna I, do I, that. I have to take the Bengals here. There's like no other choice. There is no other choice. No other choice. Um, and that leaves, Big drop off here. Big and, drop off here. And that leads me to take the Chargers are the easy one. Okay. What do you mean? Why Why that face? Oof. Who's better Without than, Mike Williams? Who's Who's better than the Chargers of the remaining teams? Have you seen their horizontal rate you offense do it. without you, Mike Williams? You yeah. do it, man. There's no one else in this in this field better than um, better than the Chargers other than the teams already selected, and I will go with the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. So you got it right. You got it right eventually. When well, I mean Chargers, Cowboys, Forty ers is not exactly where I was hoping to be sitting here, but so close. I would go with the uh, with the league leading in PDO team, the Minnesota Vikings. Oof. Ugly. <laughs> yeah. Ugly. I actually think the Vikings are bad. I'm gonna. I'm going You're taking to, the Giants over them this Sunday? I'm going to lay some money. Uh, so I have now truly nobody nobody left. Well, you have either Skylar Thompson or yeah. the Jaguars. I will take the uh, the storybook Jacksonville Jaguars to I, round I, out that my That is three. the right pick. To round out my three. Yeah, bet, on, bet on QB talent right there. Yeah. Yep. So I got all AFC, Chiefs, Bills, and my Jags. I'm a big, big Jacksonville Jags I mean, at the end now. of the day, you have... The two betting favorites picking third. So that's pretty good. Oh, God. That's what it's all about, man. How do we let them do that? Smart drafting. Because I picked the 49ers. You got Eagles. I I got Eagles, uh, Bengals, and Vikings. As much as I say there's no objective criteria to most of these, the one thing I do know is Drance always has the worst draft. (laughs) (laughs) He's really bad. Because when we do the hockey one, it's like. And I was actually thinking back. When we did the duos one, did anyone take McKinnon and Rantanen? Somebody must have. I think I. uh, But I was like. It's like. We'll have to roll. The they tape. dropped a lot. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to roll. And they're the tape. ridiculously, ridiculously good. Anyway, I've got the Super Bowl winning 49ers, which is like all that matters in this exercise, plus the Chargers and the who's the other team, the Cowboys, dude. Yeah. So no one picked the Bucks, eh? That's pretty interesting. Oh, have, have you watched the? Have yeah. you watched the Tampa Bay Bucks this yeah, year? It's been really, really tough. Have you? I've listened to a lot of football analysis though this week uh, on podcasts, various other media, really talking themselves into like. We saw something from Mike Evans last week. Oh, the week before, yeah. Yeah. All right. And you know, then, ruled out with an illness. Right. And then yeah. and then people are like, the key is that the Bucks will win if Tom Brady can hit his receivers deep. And it's like, well, I know he can't, so no. I'm fine. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. It's I'm not going to happen. I'm probably gonna take the Cowboys on like an elevated spread. Uh, what a bummer that uh, Tua is not playing for the yeah. Dolphins, though. Yeah, like I st- I, Buffalo's still but winning. But it would be a bigger bummer if he was. Well, oh, you know, morally you know speaking, I mean. yeah. Morally no, 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 no. Hold on. I, I mean, if he was in full perfect health, oh, not, yeah, he yeah. should be rushing back to play for them. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe you just morally shamed Jamie like that. I, as a good human, I, as a good human, understand. Jamie Dodd says Tua's weak for not playing this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Skip Dodd over here. <laughs> Why isn't he out there battling with his teammates? No, I mean, in a perfect world, well, he'd be in good health. It's going to be a good weekend of football. I'm sure there's a bunch of Canucks fans uh, a little frustrated that the Seahawks and the Canucks are playing at the exact same time, though. It's going to be a really hard decision for a lot of Canucks fans about which game to watch. Yes, indeed. Uh, anyways, <laughs> with that said... Not a hard decision? Listen. Listen to the broadcast on the weekend. Canucks uh, take on the Panthers on Saturday, and then the Carolina Hurricanes on Sunday. Short, Shorty will be wearing his Seahawks tie, so it's not like yeah, there you go. completely... Okay, Hurricanes, shot, shots on goal versus... 49ers rushing attempts. There's your Sunday Sunday. I love Sunday it. Bet. Oh, I'm definitely picking Carolina uh, over. Oh. Carolina. Carolina is going to have right, the, have right. one. something to watch for. Yeah, I think so. Because I think they'll run the ball efficiently. Mm. 
more than they will run it for more you. than they will run it in volume yes. all right uh, that's gonna do it by the way somebody is saying that i misattributed the text that really set you off to sam because he texted about gavin mckenna this guy says i'm the <laughs> the guy texting and says that texture is a fraud i sent the text that made drance lose his mind <laughs> i'm the italian stallion lino in east van <laughs> So shout out to the Italian stallion, Lino, in East Van. We will leave you on that note. We need a a prize for Lino. You keep keep being the realist, Lino. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for texting. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday.